4: Hi, this this is Mark. (laughs) Back in goal goalie. (laughs) This is Mark Kermode. Um, Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film Podcast. This is part three of a four-part August special in which Jack Howard... Hello. ...and I, just so sprightly, Jack and I (laughs) I counting down our top ten best and worst films for the first half of 2021. If you can hear the wind... yeah, we're we're outside. A, we're at the Latitude Festival where we did a, 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 a Q&A thing yesterday. Well, it wasn't Q&A. It was an on-stage you and me bickering at each other. Yeah. To a packed
0: It was. I don't want to brag, but... But it was packed. It was packed.
4: Somebody <laughs> sent me a photograph of it. God, there are a lot of people there. <laughs> anyway, so we've already done number 10 to number 6 of our best and worst of the year. Jack is doing film, TV, maybe some internet stuff. Yeah, I am literally just old school film. So... Here we go from number five. And for me, fifth favorite thing that I've seen in this first half is Sound of Metal. Oh my God. I loved so much about Sound of Metal. I think Riz Ahmed's performance was great. I loved the sound design. I loved the way in which it had managed to do that thing that Notes on Blindness did, which was, you know, Notes on Blindness is a film about blindness that manages to capture visually the experience of somebody losing their sight. And I thought that Sound of Metal did a similar thing of capturing orally the sound of somebody losing their hearing.
0: It was cringe inducing. It was like I was sitting there watching it. I unfortunately haven't seen it in a cinema. Have
4: you? Yes, I've seen it at home and in a cinema. Yeah, I
0: really want to try and see it in a cinema if that's going to be possible now. It probably won't be. But I remember seeing, you know, the moment when he's touching his ear yeah. and you don't hear anything. Yeah. I don't know how the film even did this. But I was sitting there and I could feel like... I felt my like, knees go up because it was such a terrifying yeah, yeah, yeah. thing to experience with him and to viscerally feel it like that was... I, I'd never experienced anything like it. I, was, I didn't know how scared of it I would be.
4: And also the other thing is it's about um, a band and at the beginning of it, he's a drummer in a band and it's just a two-piece band. And the gig at the beginning that you see, I think is one of the most convincing live gigs in a drama, you know, in yeah. a fictional drama, because the thing actually started life... As a kind of had a documentary element because there really there was a band that they were using who really were a drummer and a guitarist and then that was just done as some sort of research when it, when the film belonged to another director it was another project, but I thought right from the very beginning I believe in that band I believe in those characters I believe that they're playing that music and I believe that he is losing his hearing mm-hmm. and then everything that happens to him as a result of it, I mean obviously all the Oscar nominations and you know awards wins so, so this is I'm not saying anything. New or surprising, but that film is really, really something special. So it that's really my number five.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: so your number five. My
0: number five is uh, The Father, um, which I know you're not as big of a fan no, of. but it's
4: okay. I know people love it, so go yeah, ahead.
0: Um I saw it recently in the cinema uh, and there's been a string and there's actually another one on my list that will be coming up a, a string of films about dementia or Alzheimer's yeah. um, and all very different, all treating it very, very differently. This one is about uh, Anthony Hopkins's character who already has it. And it's about this like strange disorientating experience. It almost feels like it's similar to what you said about sound of metal, putting you in the position of having dementia and like almost the film's trying to represent to you how it would feel yeah if you were to 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 have this horrible disease like the the strangeness of it the upsetting nature of not knowing where you are or thinking you are where you aren't and somebody being somebody else like it does it so it does it in in the almost unshowy way which i really liked part of me just because of my sensibilities wished that you know it got a bit more eternal sunshine do you know okay. what i mean like i almost wish that it the, the filmmaking start to get more like scary or strange or, or or yeah just started messing with it a little bit more but it actually stays quite reserved but the editing in it especially i thought was incredible like how it transported you from place to place just with a cut um and really made me feel um like i was like experiencing it with Uh, Anthony Hopkins, and obviously, goes without saying, he won Best Actor at the Oscars for it, Um, and I think quite deservingly, if not, like, you know, I think it might have been more appropriate for somebody else to to take that, Chadwick Boseman, to take that, you know, because the Oscars aren't just about what is... the It's literally about representing film at this time, and I think that there's more in it than just, like, which one did you like the most? I think it's about what's appropriate. But anyway, Anthony Hopkins is fantastic in this, and without giving anything away... You know, He's obviously going through lots of different emotions throughout the whole thing, but there's a scene towards the end of the film where he basically turns into a little boy, where he turns into a child who's asking for his mum, mm. and that was quite something to watch, and it didn't feel like Anthony Hopkins okay. doing a performance. It felt like Anthony Hopkins losing his mind and, and seeing something truly vulnerable, and I think that's difficult for anybody, but especially someone who's so recognisable to achieve something like that and to, for me to feel that emotion so rawly, I yeah, I thought it was it would really, really okay, great. Okay, well,
4: I mean, you know, to play devil's advocate, because I'm not a fan of the film, um, it's fine. Um, I think it's stagey. It is based on a stage play, and I think it feels stagey. I love the production design, the way in which the rooms just sort of change slightly. So mm. you're constantly being disorientated by which flat he's in, which room he's in, which time period he's in. I think that works really well. Um I just, it felt showy to me. His performance felt showy. Um, there's a lot of, you know, big, at one point he actually tap dances. I mean, yeah. you know, it, is, it is a bells and whistles performance, but I will say this. I know it has touched people really profoundly. And, uh, you know, I have experience of a very close relative who had, had Alzheimer's and many, many people watching the film will have the same thing. And I know people who have found real solace in watching The Father. I didn't, mm. but that may well be me. But, you know, to uh, me, it seemed, it seemed stagey, but I, you know, I have to accept that... Did it, it feel pl- like
0: it was made by somebody who hadn't... This is a very difficult question because I don't actually know the truth, but did it feel like somebody to you who hadn't had the experience? Well, he
4: had. I mean, he had had experience of it because right. I think it was, the experience of was with his grandmother. Right. Um, but, and in a way, that's kind of, you know, well, it, 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 almost everybody, whether it's you know one person away or two people away, will have been touched in some way by Alzheimer's. Mm. You know with, with that that is, you know, it's not uncommon. It, it's not uncommon, and um, and there have been a rash of films dealing with it. As you said, there's another one that's coming up. I think it's going to be on your list. But I it, it, no, I think it's a perfectly fine entry. I think the problem may be mine.
1: Date of birth: uh,
2: Friday, thirty first of December, nineteen thirty seven.
3: You're living with your daughter at the moment. Is that right?
2: Yes, in my flat. You see, the situation is very simple. I've lived in this flat for 30 years now. It's me! And my daughter is very interested in
1: it. Oh, Dad, what are you talking about?
2: So she's moved in with this man she met.
1: I'm here to help you. Tell me,
2: do what? Everything is fine, Anne. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up that I do know. There's something funny going on. Where's the painting? What painting? Uh, believe me, there's something funny going on. Has anyone seen my watch? It's been stolen. No, it hasn't. Which do you mean, no, it hasn't? No, it's been going on for some time. It's me. Anne. Strange things going on around us. What is this nonsense? Where's Anne? What are you talking about? Where is she? I'm here.
4: My number four is another round. Great. I just, I loved Another Round. And one of the things I loved most about, well, I mean, you know, Matt Mickelson is brilliant. I think that um, Thomas Vinterberg did a great job with, with the, the setup of the story is four disillusioned middle-aged teachers decide to experiment with being drunk to see if their life gets better because they've read a psychologist saying that the, the human body is deficient in alcohol and therefore and we needs... We
0: have like... Uh, a, a percent, 0.05 or whatever yeah, yeah, it is, yeah.
4: L- less than we should. The real guy who actually said that then said that he, he, he posited it as a theory and then he very quickly debunked the theory um, but apparently he was then brought on as a technical advisor so he didn't mind it being used <laughs> so it was fine what I what I really like about it is that I have spoken to people who have felt that they've, they've watched almost like different movies to me it was a, it was a film that actually captured the, the exhilaration of being slightly drunk okay and mm-hmm. the exhilaration of, of alcohol the way in which alcohol loosens the screws at the back of the tongue and all and that kind of stuff being around people who
0: don't know that you are
4: yeah yeah, but I also know other people who've got very strong fear because, you know, alcohol is, you know, alcohol does more damage in the world than, you know... Than good? Well, yeah, okay, you know, it's a loaded subject, but I think the film knows that and the film accepts that. But I think that what's brilliant about the film is that it doesn't moralise either way. What it does is it just captures the thing. Yeah, it doesn't
0: feel very judgmental.
4: No, it doesn't feel judgmental at all. And of course, it was made in the wake of Thomas Vinterberg losing his daughter. Who was very involved in the project was actually going to be in it, and it was, you know, it's shot at her school. And one of the things that I think the film does brilliantly is it balances tragedy and comedy. And Vinterberg said he, he wanted it to be life affirming in memory of his daughter. And I think it is. I think it is a life affirming film. But, and I think it's, everyone who sees it sees a slightly different film, and I think that's really smart. I
0: think that's such a, an achievement. I think that as somebody who eventually hopes to work in that sort of uh, that sort of realm my goal would be to make something that two different people would feel very differently yeah, or yeah, see yeah. very very different things in it yeah and yeah i i i liked the film i wasn't as like taken with it as some other people have been i thought it was great yeah i really enjoyed watching it and i definitely want to see it again actually i think i'd enjoy it more the second time but i don't think it i don't think any of the subjects in it felt like they um i don't maybe i'm not maybe i haven't been through the things enough yet to 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 empathize fully with the characters or at least um to understand exactly what they're going through i don't think i've been through that stage of my life but i really enjoyed it and yeah. i thought the filmmaking especially was outstanding <laughs>
4: Okay, you're number four. Palm Springs. Ooh, okay. Yeah. um, Not Groundhog Day.
0: Not Groundhog Day. Um, Yeah, for people who haven't uh, seen this, it's Andy Samberg. Um, He's been in his own version of Groundhog Day for a very, very long time. And then all of a sudden, he's joined in Groundhog Day um, by uh, somebody else. Uh, They're at a wedding over and over and over again. um, And now he's no longer alone in his Groundhog Day. And it's this sort of lovely... Uh, very like light on its feet comedy but really at the center of it again it's i love i'm a sucker for stories about people learning to sort of love themselves and i think that that's kind of what's learning to love yourself
4: is the greatest love of all jack i
0: think it is i think it is mark um and (laughs) and there's that, that in this as well i love the fact that they're using this groundhog day thing in a slightly different way and, and we've talked about this on a podcast before but there's a lot of um movies and tv shows as well coming out lately that seem to be revolving around this time loop idea one that we didn't mention before um on the other one when i was trying to mention how many there are yeah. there's one on uh, netflix which is fantastic a tv show called russian doll yeah. which is really really good, good um, and i'm i can't, i can't wait for a second series of that and that is maybe more comparable to Palm Springs than even Groundhog Day is because it's about how people are dealing with their own shit in their own heads. And in Russian Doll, it's very overtly about mental health. But in this, it feels like it's much more about how Andy Samberg is comfortable with feeling like he's sort of stuck and in between and, um, you know, where he's at is not where he wants to be at, but he's been in it for so long that it's scary to be anything else. And I've certainly been that way as well. I've certainly felt like, you know i don't want to change this because any change is scary yeah yeah and the idea of like I could, if i try and change this and it gets worse yeah that could be that could <laughs> yeah you know, i don't want yeah. that but also there's an incredible uh, amount of comedy and levity in it especially from like jk simmons's character who's hunting down andy Sandberg. i don't know it was just it was one of those films that I remember when I, when I finished it I was just so filled with joy that I was like I'm not even going to analyse this too much I just had such a fantastic time watching it and I would recommend it to anybody yeah. I think so it's I think truly the,
4: brilliant I think the best thing to say about it is it's not Groundhog Day I mean it's, it's, yeah. it's so much I and mean, it kind of refers to the fact that it isn't Groundhog Day it's knowledgeable enough to know mm-hmm. it's okay and I thought oh god they're doing Groundhog Day and then I just completely forgot about it and just got on with enjoying the film no I think that's a really good choice
2: it's going to be a beautiful wedding Diving. Here you are, standing on the precipice of something so much bigger than anyone here. But always remember, you are not alone.
1: I don't think that we met. I'm Sarah. Niles. Hi. Hi.
2: It's going to be a beautiful wedding.
1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today.
4: Okay, so my number three, again, no big surprises, no Madland. Um Chloe's out, only these I'm gonna
0: my oh, number three is oh, also Nomadland.
4: Oh wow!
2: Yeah,
4: fantastic. <laughs> well, I mean, look. So you know, Chloe Zhao, only the second woman ever to win Best Director after Catherine uh, Bigelow, who won for The Hurt Locker, tells you something about. just I think how- she's
0: the most acclaimed filmmaker for one film at the Oscars. Is that right? I think because she was the writer. I don't think I don't know if it won for writing, but she was the writer, the director, the editor, the producer.
4: The Butcher, the Baker, the Candlestick maker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I think she, because she was across so much of it and it won so many awards, I think she is well, the most rewarded single filmmaker for one film at the Oscars.
4: And the one thing I'd say is if you, if you saw Nomadland when it came out uh, on streaming services, mm-hmm. it is worth going to the cinema to see Good it. Good Lord. Because, it is so beautiful. Yeah, I was lucky way...
0: enough to see it at the BFI Film Festival
4: right, last okay, year. Fine.
0: It was the last film I saw before everything got shut down again. It's stunning.
4: And it really does capture that thing about, you know, it's a road movie, but it's a western, mm-hmm. and it has that. I mean, it's a it, it's a it's a western, but it's a, it's a different bit of America. It's not like kind of the vistas that you're used to. It's a really interestingly intimate view of the landscape, in which the people, you know, seem seem to come out of the landscape. I mean, I just it it glows on the screen, and it's really good to see it on a big screen. Even you know, it looked lovely, you know, on a small screen, but it really did glow on the big screen.
0: And it's a film. The reason why I love it, and I look for this in most films now, and I always hate saying this because it sounds so wanky. But as a filmmaker, <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult to invest in things sometimes because it's like what I've already said. Like sometimes I know where the strings are, or I know how things are done, or how you're trying to manipulate me into feeling certain things. But with this, it blends beautifully between fiction and documentary where it uses real people and real stories and real environments and real situations where, like, Francis McDormand is the only actor in a scene, for example, or you've got a real character playing a version of themselves but with a fake version of their story. But it blends so much of that that when you're watching it, it's like this like heightened reality where you're not sure where one ends and the other begins. Yeah. And that really helped me and invest. Saw, and
4: we saw a lot of that in the rider as well. I mean, this is something that Chloe Zhao does that kind of, that blur. I'm sure she's going to bring
0: it into the Eternals as well. <laughs> I wonder if she will.
4: <laughs> I wonder if she, she's going to cast a real eternal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're not acting that really.
0: Is yeah. Okay. I got a real God. only Chloe Zhao could do that. I think.
1: Yeah. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am, I know. And we'll sometimes call you nomads.
2: My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true?
3: No, I'm not homeless. I'm just
1: houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work.
3: One, two, three, four, five,
1: six, seven, eight. Welcome to Badlands Spa. What the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did.
3: Hey, Fern. got to make a hole bigger. The
1: <laughs> I think Fern's part of an American tradition.
3: Oh. He's going to come right through the glass. My dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life just remembering.
4: Well, look, I'm very glad we're, we're in accordance with that. So my number two, I think so that's both our number threes. My number two, I think you may not have seen, is Quo Vadis Aida. Did you see this? No, I haven't. Okay, so Quo Vadis Aida, this sounds like such a, you know, a, a tough ass. So it was uh, the Bosnia and Herzegovina submission for the, you know, international feature Oscar, um, both at the BAFTAs, the BAFTAs and the Oscars, I think it was submitted.
0: Was it nominated for international feature? Um,
4: I think it was, yeah. And it says something about the Oscars that actually, even just this brief period of time afterwards, mm. I can't, because by the time the Oscars happened, it was like, what year are we in now? It's halfway through the year. Anyway, it's set around the Srebrenica massacre of 1995, and, uh, which is a, a horrific story about, you know, the slaughter of Bosnian Muslims under by you know, General uh, Mladic. And the central character is a translator who finds herself attempting to stop what is evidently going to turn into this horrific situation. And it's written and directed by Yasmila Zabanich, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I remember going into it thinking, I don't know if I can watch a film about this subject because this subject is so harrowing. Mm. And the lead uh, actor is Jasna Duricic i think i hope that's how you pronounce it and she is absolutely mesmerizing and th- you see the whole drama through her eyes what she's trying to do is to protect her husband and sons whilst also trying to deal with the fact that this absolutely unbelievable catastrophe is unfolding around it. and the camera follows her and everything happens through her and I mean, the historical event itself is so appalling that it's amazing that any film could manage to approach it, but it it flattened me. I I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Did you see that in the cinema? No, I saw that at home. I saw that on a BAFTA disc, Mm -hmm. and I just thought it was really. I know I haven't seen it projected, and I would like to, but that's my number two. As
3: I said,
2: they have been issued an ultimatum.
3: Aircrafts are on standby and ready to launch an attack on all positions held by the Republika Srpska Army.
2: What's your number two? My, no, my
0: number two is Supernova. Okay, fine, yeah. It's a film I saw on the day that I got vaccinated, so I'll remember that of course. forever. Um, it's... Uh, a film starring Stanley Tucci and Colin Colin Firth. Um, you nearly
4: said Colin Farrell. I, I
0: always <laughs> I, I always have to just double check. Um, where Stanley Tucci's character has early onset dementia, and it's about them taking a road trip together. Uh, and literally, the opening line of the movie, and I knew I was going to love it from this moment. Is we're not going back, you know. And <laughs> I, I was just like, yeah, I'm I'm so into this. Like, I love I love that type of that type of dialogue where it's immediately got a lot of subtext uh going on but it's really about these two and their relationship and clearly like the chemistry between them is is incredible they're so charming and they're so funny there's a scene that we both love where they're in a, a restaurant at the beginning and it's it's basically a way of doing exposition but also showing like they are a wonderful dynamic where stanley tucci plays a prank that clearly he always plays on him where he asks a stranger if she would like uh, his, 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 autograph. his autograph on yep. one of his piano albums, <laughs> it's so brilliant. And the great line that we again we both love is like, I don't, I don't know why I do it because it doesn't even like feel good half the time. So why do you still do it then?
4: The because of half, the other half, yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is actually a really great line, isn't it? Yeah, and I and
0: I love. The cinematography of it, I'm, I'm a big fan of of the simplicity, but the sort of the beautiful sort of like shape of the the, 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 the cinematographer finds. I apologize, I don't know who the cinematographer is, um, but I love that. But mostly I like the fact that in contrast to The Father, it's not showing you any of the horrific moments of dementia. It doesn't go into that sort of stuff. It's definitely more about these two understanding that something is coming to an end and Stanley Tucci making a very, very... His character making a very difficult decision um, that will ultimately mean that their relationship needs to end sooner than they'd like it to and that acceptance um, and how difficult that'll be. And it it kind of... Yeah, it skirts over a lot of the more sort of difficult things and focuses more on how they are feeling in anticipation of it. Yeah. And I, I really, really was taken with it. And I thought they were both absolutely fantastic in it.
4: I agree with you. I prefer it to The Father. I'm glad that you got it higher up in your chart than The Father. It, it got much less attention. It was com- pretty much completely overlooked during awards season. But I thought it was a better movie, not least because it captured some of the humour of the situation and you felt like it was, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a genuine portrait of two people who loved each other, who turned into a bickering old couple. Mm. And yet, you know, beneath it, it was, it was truly, I mean, there's a lovely bit at the very beginning when they're driving and, and uh, Stanley Tucci's criticising Colin Firth's driving and he says, do you think we could venture into the, into the waters of fifth gear?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: so you have to find the three... Brightest lights
2: there that make the triangle, these ones, Mm -hmm. and that's where the Milky Way is. Mm. It's good to get back on the road again, don't you think? But how about just exploring the outer regions of fifth gear? (laughs) How (laughs) are you? I'm on the edge. All right.
3: <laughs> All right. If you had one wish in the world, what would it be?
2: I wish this holiday wouldn't end.
4: <laughs> okay, so my number one the best thing that I have seen in the first six months of the year. And actually here's the really weird thing is that I think I've cheated because I think it actually came out in July, but I don't care. Okay. Okay? So I made, you know, you make rules to break them, right? Yeah. So the rule is it has to come out between January and June. It came out in July, but I don't care. Because actually, technically, it should have come out in 1969, Summer of Soul. I think Summer of Soul is the best thing I have seen in ages. And it's a documentary about this incredible Harlem Cultural Festival, 1969. Bunch of acts, you know, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Fifth Dimension, Nina Simone, Stevie Wonder, on fire Stevie Wonder. And the documentary is directed by Questlove. And this footage was all shot, this is the same time as, you know, like Woodstock and uh, Altamont, and we all know Woodstock, we all know Altamont, and who the hell remembers the Harlem Cultural Festival. Almost nobody, apparently, because one of the things that the film does is to show footage of the acts to people who were there in the crowd who literally had got to the point that they'd started to think that they had imagined the event. The music is brilliant. I mean, the sound quality, they've really, really gone to town. The sound quality is fantastic. The performances are great. The political stuff is brilliant. The you know capturing of the era, you know, the end of an era of unrest and assassinations, man landing on the moon, all this stuff going, it, it, it's... It's so rich, it's so full, it's so joyous, it's so vibrant. Like I said, it, it, it's so brilliant that I have broken my own rules to make you it... You can't
0: pretend you haven't seen it by the time we're
4: recording this. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Who it's cares? Just, I and that's just, coming out on
0: Disney Plus soon.
4: I loved it. Yeah, so it was, in, it was in cinemas for... Well, by now, by the time people are listening to this, it oh, will yes. be on Disney Plus. It was in yeah, cinemas I forgot for two we weeks. are. Our and voices then, are in the future. Yeah, our voices are in the future. Timey-wimey. That's my number one, Summer yeah. of Soul, which is also... Uh, yeah, just see it in, in whichever will. in whichever way
3: you By can. By the
0: time this podcast is out, I will, have, will have seen, seen it.
3: Okay. It. Nobody ever heard of the Harlem Culture Festival. Nobody would believe that happened. Six weekends major artists. The Panthers were the security and kids were sitting up on the trees. I was nervous. I didn't expect a crowd like that. Something very important was happening. It wasn't just
2: about the music. 1969 was a change of era in the black community.
3: The styles were changing. Music was changing. And revolution was coming together.
2: We are a new
1: people. We are
3: a beautiful people. That concert took my life from black and white into color.
0: I mean you can guess what my favorite thing of the year is so far. I don't uh, think it's going to change. It's Bo Burnham's Inside. Oh
4: yeah, okay, fine.
0: I we've we've spoken about this at length. There
4: is a whole podcast a whole of podcast us talking about, about it. it.
0: And we got some great responses from that. We did. Yeah, it was that was really terrific.
4: Yeah. Have you have you gone back and revisited it yet? No, I haven't. I'm going to I am going to watch it again because if, if, if this isn't a plot spoiler Jack really liked it. I was less convinced, but during the course of our conversation, I, I thought Jack actually talked me round to thinking that I am I need to see this again also um, your son, child too, yeah. yes absolutely loved it he's mm-hmm. very much camp jack with this team jack you know. Um, and, and he yeah he
0: came because we're at latitude right now as we've mentioned he, he he's here and he, he came over to me and, and first of all was like why are you working with him like what he's clearly so wrong right you don't need to be working with him like and uh then he complimented me on a video that i made about inside because something that this film as i'll keep calling it because it does feel like he's he's made a film that's wrapped in the, the language of a, of a comedy special, it really feels like it's offered me uh, like a doorway to discuss and talk about openly some very particular, specific things that I didn't really feel like I knew how to yeah. talk about before. Like being a person who, like Bo Burnham, has grown up creating things on my own in my bedroom, talking to a camera for about 10 years. There's a very specific thing that a feeling that comes with that and there's a strangeness to it and what i said in a video that i made is that i started doing this as a kid and i'm still kind of doing a similar thing that i was doing when i was like 15 because i didn't want to do my homework and now it's a job yeah and there's something very strange about doing something that you did when you were a kid and now that being work and there's also a strangeness to thinking would I still be doing this now if it wasn't a job? It yeah, started yeah. out as a passion and a thing I was doing to avoid work and now it's work. And it's a very odd thing to go through. And yeah, yeah. And, and even the relationship with the camera as well, the idea that we are told, especially in the YouTube, uh, Instagram, sort of direct contact, one person talking to another era that we're in, it's not really what's going on. It's one person talking to a camera. It's not one person talking to another. Yeah. There's like a a direct block in between and i think bo burnham's discussing that in this as well and to asking you to question the authenticity of what it is that you're seeing even though he introduces it as it's just me and my camera and you and your screen like he's just saying we have a direct communication with each other and yet there are moments in inside where you really aren't sure if what you're seeing is an authentic version of that moment or if it's a constructed moment and i think it's fucking brilliant I think it's genius, and I also think the songs are all absolute bangers, and I've not listened to anything else
4: for several weeks. All bangers, no clangers, Jack Howard. <laughs> do you, any of
3: you want to hear a funny story? <laughs> so, uh, five years ago, I quit performing live comedy because I was beginning to have uh, severe panic attacks while on stage which is not a great place to have them. So I I quit. And I didn't perform for five years. I spent that time trying to improve myself mentally. And you know what? I did. I got better. I got so much better. In fact, that in January of Twenty twenty, I thought, you know what? I should start performing again. I've been hiding from the world, and I need to.
4: Okay, well, Jack, so that takes us to the number one spot in our best. For the next podcast, we're going to do number five to number one of our worst of the film, of of the year so far Mm -hmm. film, TV, whatever it is. And I, yeah. I'm be, I'll be very interested to see how this plays out. So, listen, thanks for for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, subscribe, tell your friends, do the usual stuff. If you've missed the first two, go back and listen to them. They're still there. Do check out the podcast which me and Jack talked about inside, because actually I thought it was a... It I was think it was a, one of the
0: best conversations we've had. Yeah. It was really and yeah, interesting.
4: And, and I think you did win. Um. Well, anyway. Uh, it's not so often that I hear that. We are literally just going to stop, take a breather, and start again. But from podcast listeners, there'll be a week's break. See you in a week. Bye.